welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Taylor. I'm the managing director of travel, hospitality, and retail at JD Power. And as always, I'm I'm joined by Andrea Stokes, practice lead for our hospitality practice. Hello, Andrea. Hello. Well, today we have another special guest. We're kind of uh, on a roll here with special guests. Uh, this one is a fellow JD Power um, employee, I guess, uh, associate of ours, Brent Gruber, who is the executive director of the electrical vehicle practice at JD Power. So, welcome, Brent. Thank you. Well, you know, uh, obviously, EVs are a big, big topic, uh, especially on our side of the business. And I think, Andrea, you had some specific questions about EVs in the hospitality industry. Yes, thanks, Mike. And thank you, Brent, for joining us today. Very excited to have you on the show. Uh, Please tell us a little bit about the J.D. Power EV practice and the new eVision initiative. Yeah, so obviously, J.D. Power has been very well rooted within the automotive industry. And we recognized that there was a lot of data from across the organization through different business units that touched on the electric vehicle side of the automotive industry. And so what we did more recently was make a concerted effort to take all of those different bits and pieces of data throughout the organization and kind of organize it into a central EV focus. So that way we could create product or continue to create products that um, you know, help the, the industry through this transition from you know, what we call ICE or internal combustion engine, fossil fuel powered vehicles, if you will, to, uh, to electric vehicles. So taking all of that data and creating some really great products and insights to help all of these stakeholders through the, uh, through the EV ecosystem. That's great. Um, and of course, on the travel industry side, there's a lot of um, interest in sustainability and how the travel industry can uh, become, you know, more sustainable overall. And um, of course, automobiles are a big part of the travel industry. Um, many, many uh, uh, consumers take road trips. Um, so the EV practice provides intelligence on EV ownership as well as home and public EV charging. Is that right? It is. Yep, exactly. So probably about four, almost five years ago now, we set out to create a completely new set of uh, metrics and studies around the electric vehicle side. Now, obviously, we've, we've done a lot around electric vehicles throughout the years, um, but we really wanted to create something that, addressed a lot of the questions that our automotive clients were asking us. So we have all these traditional automotive studies that have been around for decades, quite literally decades, but that serves the broader industry. And the questions that we were getting were so much more specific to electric vehicles and some of the the nuances of owning those vehicles that it really warranted creating a new set of metrics specifically around those products. And when we sat down and looked at what was different for the ownership of an electric vehicle versus an ICE vehicle, we recognized that charging is obviously a really big component of that. And so we developed two studies specifically around the charging of an electric vehicle and split it into two because the use case is so incredibly different. Charging an electric vehicle at home is really convenient, very cost effective, 
and very different than, you know, maybe if you're on a road trip or, or driving around town and needing to charge in public. So those different use cases really led us down the path of creating two studies focused on each of those areas. But what it is, is it's part of what we call the EV customer journey. And so we mapped out this EV customer journey from the consideration of an electric vehicle right up to and through all of the ownership experiences and said, okay, this is what the journey looks like for an electric vehicle customer. How can we provide data that represents that customer experience and help the industry make decisions or change in those different steps along the way? And so that followed this path of, of you know, upper funnel type research, looking at the consideration, what's important to consumers when considering electric vehicle, why are they considering electric vehicles or why aren't they considering electric vehicles? And then moving into those ownership type aspects like charging, maybe getting service with their electric vehicle. Um, that's very different than, than a traditional vehicle is. So, so how does that differ and what does that experience look like? And how can we influence that? And then ultimately, how satisfied are people with these products? You know, are they going to repurchase these again? Is this a fad? Is this something that you know consumers are going to buy an electric vehicle, not be happy with it, and then jump right back into an ICE vehicle? So that kind of gave us this structure for creating all these different metrics and studies around that, which then led into developing some tools for the industry to get really granular on those those steps in the journey. That's great. So do you have or does the EV practice collect uh, data on consumers taking road trips in their electric vehicles and, you know, having to, you know, charge that vehicle in, in public places uh, along the way? Yeah, we do. Absolutely. That, that's that's a big part of owning an electric vehicle. And it's a really big part of that journey that I was talking about. So, you know, you're essentially referring to the public charging experience. And that study that we have dedicated to evaluating that experience, you know, for example, in 2022, represented feedback from more than 26,500 survey respondents across all 50 states. So EV owners across all 50 states and what that public charging experience looks like. And so, you know, we're tracking that behavior charging at all these different locations, all these different types of scenarios. So whether it's, like I said, driving around town and you're kind of charging because it's convenient or if you're on that road trip, public charging breaks down to what I refer to as, as two typical scenarios. There's the convenience charge and then there's the purposeful charge. And the convenience charge is, you know, what you'll see a lot of times around um, you know, restaurants or grocery stores where, you know, maybe you're out to eat or you're picking up some things at the grocery store and there's a charging station there. And so you'll take advantage of it being there and you want to, you know, top off your battery while, while it's there. So that's, that's convenient. You may not necessarily need to charge, but you'll take advantage of it while it's there. That other scenario is, is, is the purposeful charging and that's, very specific to the type of behavior that you see on a road trip. So when we start to talk about different types of places where people are charging, you know, this is where things like hotels come into play. You know, there's a road trip that someone's on. There's maybe some predetermined stops that, they, that they've identified 
or it's um, you know a charge of need where they need to stop and charge up along that way. So it's very purposeful in, in terms of the need for that charge. Um, can you tell from your study if travelers are finding enough places to, to charge along their road trips or is there a big need out there for, you know, even more uh, public charging locations? Yeah. Well, that's a bit of a loaded question. Um, unequivocally, <laughs> the, the answer is no, there's, there's, there's certainly not enough public charging. And, and we talk about this regularly. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately around the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure bill on the automotive side and what impact that will have on electric vehicle ownership. And much of those funds are either designed to incentivize people to purchase electric vehicles or make funds available to grow the public charging infrastructure. And that's because there's a recognized need for more public charging. So, you know, I oftentimes talk about two different types of needs when it comes to public charging. One is we need more. We drastically need more in terms of, of charging stations that are available. The demand is so far outweighing the availability right now. In fact, we have this tool that we've developed uh, that launched in January called the EV Index. And it takes a lot of that data that I talked about from across the organization, so millions of data points, and it pulls it into this this simple, easy to use tool that measures how successful the transition is from ICE to electrification. And one of the measurements within that tool is, is the infrastructure. So it's looking at things like how many EVs are there within a given area versus how many charging stations there are. How many lane miles are there within a given area? So how much road miles does this charger have to um, uh, you know, provide uh, service for, uh, you know, how many people are in that area? What's the breakdown of the different types of chargers? Are they accessible to everyone or maybe they're private? So it, it really looks at it in this granular level. And one of the key things that we saw within that infrastructure assessment was the growth of electric vehicles is outgrowing the growth of charger installations by more than two to one. So we know it's bad. We know we need a lot more of them. And unfortunately, that, that separation is, is, is widening. So we, we definitely need more, regardless of where it is, what the use case is, we need more of them. So when you talk about hotel properties and, and the role that they play in providing public charging, it's a very critical role. We see within our public charging study that it's very heavily utilized. Um, it's, in fact... If you look at the public charging based on these two different levels, so there's level two, which is a little bit slower charging rate, and then there's fast charging, which obviously is, is faster charging. Most of the charging stations in the U.S. right now fall into that level two or slower category, and that serves what I was mentioning before, sort of that convenience charge. And those are the types of chargers that you're oftentimes buying near hotels. 15% of all level two charging usage in public is done at a hotel. So I think it really speaks volumes to the role that hotels play in providing 
um, an adequate infrastructure. So when you talk about someone who's thinking about maybe adding a charging station, you know, they're, they're contributing to that improvement that the industry needs and certainly adding convenience. So what, um, yeah, what should hotels, so on this topic of hotels, like what should hotel owners consider if, you know, if they're looking at this and they're thinking about this, is it, is it, you know, something where they should perhaps seek out some local or state infrastructure funding to, to help support maybe the cost of an installation? Because I, I can imagine installing a charger, a public charger is, is you know, probably has a significant cost um, that the that the hotel owner would, would have to pay. So there's two different options that someone could, could be looking at in terms of charger installation. Um, and that's, again, those, those different levels. So they could install a level two charger. That is certainly much, much less cost than a fast charging station. You know, you could, you can install a, a, a level two charger for thousands of dollars, as opposed to hundreds of thousands of dollars for a fast charging station. Now, some fast charging stations are co-located near hotels. Um, but one of the challenges with fast chargers is that they require a great amount of electricity to supply the, those charging stations. And so more often than not, most people are looking at level two chargers in those types of situations. And so if someone is looking to, to install chargers, there are incentives available. Like you mentioned, you know, those, those um, policies that passed or, or were, were enacted last year make funds available to people to install these these publicly accessible chargers that's part of this growth plan is making sure that you know companies have access to these funds to install these chargers now much of the focus is on like i said the fast charger growth but the department of energy recognizes that there's a strong need for level two charging as well and so we have to have this, this balance and so funds are available if someone is interested in uh, you know, installing a charger at their location, you know they can talk to their state representatives. It's a, a very state-driven initiative, and they can find out about those incentives that are available to them for for making those installations. Um, you know, there's there's certainly a convenience that's being added with the growth of these public chargers, and so if I were in the shoes of somebody. You know, looking to add a charger, I would want to know, you know, what kind of benefit could that provide to me as well as to my my customers. You know, we know what it provides to the customer. It's providing this convenience. It's helping them find added charging locations. But on the 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 flip side of that, the the property owner is going to contribute to creating higher satisfaction for consumers and what you know broad effect that could have on, on their, um, their experience. So if you are a hotel guest and you're staying at a hotel and you know, maybe you're an EV owner, um, you know, you're going to seek out those types of places that offer that convenience. So you know, it's tapping into an audience that's growing uh, quite rapidly. And to put that growth in perspective, right now we are at about 8.5% of the U.S. retail sales are represented by electric vehicles. 
last year at this time, we were almost half of that. So 8.5% right now. We're forecasting at J.D. Power that that's going to reach 27% by 2026. So we're going to go from 8.5% to 27% in just a few short years. So I think that demonstrates the growth. So if you're looking at this saying, okay, there's some risk. I don't know what's going to happen with the electric vehicle market. Is this just hype? You know, there's a lot of investment that's being made in, in electrification, whether it's from manufacturers or the government investment. And so, you know, get get uh, get a hold of your local state representatives, find out what incentives are available to you if you're considering putting in an electric charger and know that, um, you know, the expectation is that it's a market that's going to grow rapidly. So this is a $100,000 question. Are, are EV owners willing to pay for public charging? I'm assuming... If, if they're at a grocery store or a hotel or anywhere in between, is it true that I don't own an electric vehicle, so I don't know, but that, you know, if you're going to pull up to a charger, say it's a fast charger, you'll have to pay for that. Is that right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, there are some level two charging networks who offer free charging. Typically, the way it works is it's a slower charge rate, shorter charge duration, but it's free. So it makes it very convenient if you're wanting to just kind of top off. Um, you know, if you're wanting a substantial charge, then you're going to need something a little bit more substantial. And, you know, that is uh, paid charging. And so consumers are very, EV owners are very used to paying for, for charging. Um, now, I will caution that you know, when you pay for charging, that comes along with a set of expectations. And first and foremost, they want to make sure that there's some some reliability there uh, with that charging station, because too often we see people starting to charge and then there's some kind of failure event that prevents them from going through with that charge process. And so, you know, paid charging is is absolutely, um, you know, the normal uh, uh, experience and consumers are very used to, to paying for that especially when it's a convenient location. That's that's interesting. So that's really helpful. Um, I guess my last question is, so if I'm in the market for a new car, at this time, should I go ahead and, and just focus on electric vehicles because this, you know, these mandates are, are coming down the road uh, for, I guess, I, I, I live in Maryland, and, and Maryland just announced that uh, internal combustion vehicles will no longer be sold in Maryland as of 2035. And that's, you know, I, I usually, you know, keep my car for, for quite a long time, perhaps a decade or even more. And that's something, right, I'm sure many consumers are thinking about right now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's a very personal decision, right? You know, budget, availability, lifestyle needs for the product. Um, I can tell you this, that, you know, if we looked at this a few years ago, there were very few options for consumers to consider in terms of, of products available. Now the, the number of products has grown seemingly exponentially. And so there are lots of products out there across different vehicle types or different segments. 
across different price points. And so there's a lot to choose from. Now, if you're considering a new vehicle and maybe considering an electric vehicle, there are incentives that uh, change at the start of 2023. So there's a $7,500 tax credit in place that applies to the purchase of an electric vehicle if it meets certain criteria, as well as in some cases, a lease uh, of an electric vehicle. It's being passed on to, to lease consumers as, as well. So there are incentives that are helping um, you know, with the acquisition of electric vehicle and it's actually driving quite a few people into the EV world. It's really enticing people uh, with these. But you look at it from a true cost of ownership perspective and oftentimes consumers look at it just simply based on the sticker price. So they look at an EV and it may appear that it's much more expensive than a comparable, you know, traditional combustion powered vehicle. But there's a lot of other things that you need to take into account. Obviously, fuel costs, right? You're not going to be paying for gas, uh, so you'll be saving money by not uh, going to the pump. Um, you know, electricity is is lower cost. If you're able to charge at home, that's that's much more cost effective. So you're saving money there. You're saving uh, oftentimes on wear and tear. So you don't have that traditional engine or that transmission with the vehicle like we saw in, in his car vehicles historically. So you don't have that same level of maintenance. So you're you're saving some maintenance costs there too. So so when you break all of these things down and you look at that true cost of ownership, electric vehicles oftentimes present a much more cost-effective solution than an internal combustion power vehicle. So I would say if you're in the market and you're interested in an electric vehicle, go drive one. Um, people are completely enamored by the, the driving performance of these vehicles. They're exciting, that instant acceleration. It's fun. It's really resonating with consumers. And, um, you know, take advantage of those incentives. If they apply to the vehicle you're looking at, then uh, utilize those because, um, you know, that's, that's why they're there. Thank you. Yeah, that's really helpful. And that's, that is really good advice. So thank you so much for that. I'm going to pass it over to Mike. Mike, do you have any questions for Brent? Well, I just have one kind of final question. Uh, it is about what, are the, what is stopping people from adopting EVs? What's the single most biggest worry that the consumer has when they go compare an EV to an ICE car? Yeah, so the number one reason for um, detractors, so the, the, the number one detractor for people who, who aren't considering or won't consider an electric vehicle, surprisingly, is the lack of available public charging. So this kind of comes full circle for us with our, our conversation. We talk about you know, the need for growing public charging um, and the role that all these different locations like hotels and such retailers can play in that process. What's holding consumers back is that safety net for public charging. You know, if you don't see it as maybe frequently as gas stations, um, you know, then it creates a level of concern. And so, yeah, it's the number one. And it has been for two years in a row, Michael. So, you know, this is certainly not something we, we take very lightly when we see that there's a large contingency of people who are, are kind of waiting by standing on the sidelines with EVs and, and saying, if there was more public charging, I would consider this more. 
um, it really puts in perspective just how critical it is for us to, to focus on improving public charging. Yeah, and that's the corollary of that we see in the rental car study that we do at J.D. Power, which is if you're renting an EV, where are you going to be renting it? Uh, you know, it's a very different proposition to rent an EV in Tucson, Arizona, and drive it, you know, in that geography versus renting it in Boston. Um, well, anyway, Brent, thank you very much for being a great guest. That was really fascinating. <laughs> it really, it's, I think you've got an interesting job there at J.D. Power. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for and having me on the show. You're quite welcome. And uh, again, for uh, Andrea Stokes, this is Mike Taylor signing off. Thank you. Thank you.